Welcome to today's BCOG online podcast episode. These weekly sermons are a part of the growing online ministry of God. Buford Church of God is a growing multi-campus and multicultural Pentecostal church north of Atlanta. We are reaching people around the world to see lives transformed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in with us and enjoy today's episode with Senior Pastor Joey Grizzle. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Say amen at the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let me just hit the ground running. For those of you who are students of the Word. I want to talk to all three of you, and then I'll get with everybody else in just a minute. This is a very interesting story because of how Bartimaeus made his way to Jesus and what he said as an introduction to Christ. A Hebrew reading this story will read it differently than you and I. Blind Bartimaeus was very controversial. He didn't just enter this conversation with God with polite accolades. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that phrase, son of David, is a powerhouse. There is a lot involved with that sentence. It means two things in this particular day. It meant, number one, that he recognized that Jesus was of the lineage of a king. And he was giving him accolade as if he was entering Jericho as a triumphal entry. He was declaring him as the son of a king. Not only was he declaring him son of king, he was was saying it in such a way by offering accolade in prayer that he was tempering his thoughts as if it was a messianic word of prophecy. He was saying son of David in reference to the Old Testament prophecy that God would rebuild the tabernacle of David which had fallen down. So there was a blind man begging on the side of the road that broke the law to pray to Christ by declaring him to be king and the Messiah. That's why they were trying to shut him down. This was a death penalty statement that he was making. Well, everybody was calling Jesus that. No, they weren't. The Bible says that Jesus came to his own disciples, and he said, who do men say that I am? And the disciples said, some say you're a great preacher, teacher, prophet, Elijah come back from the dead, all of these things. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And then 
Peter spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. What did Jesus say? I know this is way too much teaching. I'll get to the rest of you in just a minute. Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But who? My Father, who is in heaven, has told you this information. Well, if it took a miracle for a disciple who was there when he multiplied the fish and the bread, who was there when he had the amazing catch of fish, who knew that he could walk on water, cast out devils, raise the dead, command the wind and the waves, if it took a miracle for Peter to recognize who Jesus was, who told the blind man? Somebody talk to me. How did information get to Jericho? Jericho's not near the municipality of Jerusalem. Jericho has nothing to do with the cultural movings of the interior of that great nation. Furthermore, he wasn't just in Jericho. He was quarantined in Jericho. He was on the dirt roads of Jericho begging for his life. He had no means of transportation. He had no ability to move beyond the context of his own handicap. So how did he know who he was? If it was a miracle for Peter to recognize the identity of Christ, it's a double miracle for a blind man in Jericho to recognize the identity of Christ. I'm afraid that there's a lot of people, they have eyes, but they can't see. You can go to the same church as the rest of us. You can hang around the same Holy Spirit that we're all hanging around, but you can leave this place bored. You don't have an ability to recognize what God's doing. You don't pray. You're not changed because you have eyes, but you don't see. You're around God, but you can't see God. Thanks be unto God for people who are blind but still have the ability to have sight of who God is. I'm telling you, out of everybody in Jericho, there was one that could see better than the rest of them. Maybe he got his attention not because he's blind. Maybe he got God's attention because he could see. Maybe he already knew what we only learned when Paul wrote it down for us. Faith doesn't come by seeing. If faith came by seeing, we'd all be right with God. Some of you see too much. Sit around watching news, getting mad, social media stuff, driving down the road, worried about everybody else that's changing lanes. If you worry about everybody that's changing lanes going to Atlanta, you will lose your mind. You'll just stay ticked off. Somebody talk to me. Better let it go. You just sit around looking around the church. Who's wearing what? Who's saying what? What are they singing? Did I like that song? Do I want the color of this? Do I want the walls that? Do I have a nice home? Do I have this? You, you see too much. You're so, you're so full of what you see, you can't see God. Faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. And the Bible says when he heard that Jesus was passing by, 
He didn't see Jesus passing by, so he didn't judge Jesus based on what he saw. He didn't see all these disciples that didn't deserve to be there, so he didn't judge the disciples based on what he saw. He didn't judge anything by what he could see. He only judged by what he heard, and they told him Jesus was passing by. Matter of fact, they didn't just tell him who was passing by. Somebody told him that somebody that walks on water is passing by. Somebody who multiplied the bread and the fish is passing by. Somebody who raised the dead and made the lame dance. Somebody who put these families back together again. Cast the devil out of the folks that were on the other side of the graveyard. Somebody talked to me today. Somebody told him about Jesus. Told him who he was, what he could do, and told him where he was. And told him he was passing by. Let me tell you something. Thank God for blind people who attend the Buford Church of God who can shout when God passes by. Some folks, listen, the Holy Ghost has to move for 30 minutes for you to finally go, man, people are wound up today. See, we already know that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's right there in the middle of them. I didn't need you or them or anybody else to let me know the king is in the house. And I didn't come to watch somebody else get a new blessing. I came because I want to be the one that shouts. I want to be the one that gets God's attention today. I'm going to be the one that magnifies God. You are biblically obligated to praise God when God is passing by. Somebody talk to me. And I like what he said when Jesus was passing by. He didn't do it like we would do it. Jesus passing by like some visiting rock star miracle worker. I need to be healed. I'm blind. I don't have any money. Can't go to the doctor. Hey, 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 help me. Come on. Haven't been able to see my whole life. Been going to church. Not what he did. He didn't talk about his problem. He talked about Jesus. That's your problem. You spend all your prayer life talking about the size of what's coming against you. And you don't spend enough time talking about the size of the God who can heal you. You spend so much time complaining, you're not praising. There's some prayers that will not be answered until you tell God how big he is. Jesus, son of David, the one that walks on water, the one that heals the sick. I see you. I may be blind, but I know you when you're passing by. I don't know what's going on in my life, but this I know. You were raised from the dead. You sit at the right hand of the Father. You have the one that is above all. You're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're the fairest of 10,000. You're the lily of the valley. You're the bride of the morning star. You're a wheel within a wheel. You're the one that's the rose of Sharon. You're a lily in the valley. You're the one that called me out of darkness. You're the one with all power. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the everlasting God. I praise you. I praise you. I praise you. You want your miracle? Keep praising God. You want your miracle? You keep glorifying God until heaven stops and God pays attention. Hallelujah. Brag on Jesus. Turn your prayer life into a praise closet. Get that little mutt look on your face. So pitiful, you don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, but he does. And your sickness cannot be what everybody sees. Your problem cannot be what everybody talks about. You shut up. Keep your mouth closed. Hey, hush. They're going to stone you. Son of David, you sit there. What's the matter with you? And the Bible says Jesus stood still. 
See, there's something that happens in the heavenlies that's automatic. God obligates himself to respond to his word. When you say it just right, when you put him in his right place, heaven stops. Your problem is you stopped before heaven stopped. You stopped praying just before God started answering. You stopped going to church just before your miracle of attending church was manifest in the job that you had. You stopped tithing before God sent the provision. You stopped, somebody talk to me. Your problem is you let the crowd intimidate you into not doing what God... Well, pastor, I can't can't do that. I don't fit into this church. You don't know what I've done. You don't know this church. (laughs) I guarantee you, you start coming to this church, you're going to be the least interesting story that we tell around here. Had it not been for God who was on our side, I have found... That the size of your prayer is equal to the size of your desperation. And the reason we shout a lot is because had it not been for God who saved us, half this crowd already be in hell. Somebody give me a witness. Just testify to me. How many of you would already be dead if God hadn't healed you? If God hadn't have protected you, you'd have lost control of your car. You'd already be in the graveyard. Thanks be unto God, Mama was praying for you. Somebody preached to you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. You stopped too soon. You've got to learn to pray through. Keep praying, keep praising, keep working, keep focused on God until your change comes. Heaven stood still. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel, God will not walk away from anybody struggling to hang on to him. But if you let him walk, he'll walk. But if you'll grab the hem of his garment, if you'll make sure that you wrestle with the angel till daybreak, If you keep shouting on the side of the dirt roads of Jericho long enough, eventually, have you ever been praying? Come on, saints, talk to me. Have you ever been praying long enough that you felt heaven stand still? And then Jesus said something. He said, go call him. He didn't say go get him. He didn't say, bring him to me. He said, go call him. That word is repeated over and over again. So they went and called him and told him the master is calling you. Why? God already knew something. God already knew that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord, to them that are the call see God had already healed him when he called him God started activating heaven 
and rewriting the past because he wasn't just called Bartimaeus, which having his name included is another theological miracle, but it also included the name of his father. Not only did he become famous, his daddy became famous because God didn't just save him. He saved the whole house. God said, I tell you what, go, don't just get him. I'm not just going to heal him. I'm going to call him. I'm going to bring him out of darkness, and I'm going to start making all things in the past, the present, and the future. You see, when you take the salt of yesterday and the sugar of the promise of tomorrow and mix it with the flour of your current circumstances, God starts to bake a cake that will glorify God and praise him in the dirt roads of Jericho. God had a plan for his life, so he called him. And some of you, the reason you're not getting from God what you're looking for is you're running from your calling. You're not doing what God called you to do. You're playing a game. You can't win. And you know I'm talking to you. And I'm interrupting this church service to let you know I see you. Don't walk out these doors in your current condition. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And I need you to come to me and let me heal you, says the Lord. Says the Lord. The Bible says that when they called blind Bartimaeus, he, he threw his garment aside. Now, this garment for a blind man in the, in the New Testament was a garment that identified he was a charity case. He had to wear the garment to get the money. It was his means of vocation. It identified him as a recipient of the welfare of Israel. He wore that garment, but the Bible says when Jesus called him, makes a big deal out of it, read your word, it says he threw aside his garment. Y'all know the difference, right? You ever seen somebody lay aside their garment? He threw away his blind man coat because he knew <laughs> that the one who could heal him had just called him. And he wasn't going to need his blind man coat anymore because faith had become substance of things hoped for. It had become evidence of things. Yeah, it's just like when, when the disciples were called by God, they laid aside their nets. They immediately left their nets and followed Christ. Your problem is you want to follow Jesus. You just don't want to throw your coat away. Or you want to lay it aside and treat it just right. You want to, you want to walk away from the place, but you want to keep her phone number just in case. Somebody talk to me. But it's time when you come down to the altar of God, you lay aside every weight and sin which does so hinder and easily beset you. And you run with patience the race that is before you with your eyes that can't see. Still fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We preach a, we preach a dirty garment gospel. But thanks be unto God, I'm not going to live in these dirt roads anymore. I'm not going to sit in that garment and beg anymore. And here's, here's really the point of my sermon. I, only really, I said all that to get to this. Jesus asked him a question. It's an unusual question. What would you have me do for you? You have to understand literary devices in the gospel. Let me go right back to talking to my three theologians for a minute. 
When the writers would use a refrain and then repeat that refrain, it meant that they were trying to draw a contrast between the two conversations. That phrase, what would you have me do for you, is actually a repeat of the exact phrase just a few verses earlier. earlier, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said to them, What would you have me do for you? And so he goes through the whole thing of him arguing with them about sitting on the right and sitting on the left and their mama getting involved and whether or not they're qualified, has an argument with them, and then repeats the same thing to blind Bartimaeus. God wants to show you the difference between the two. There are moments in your life when God is going to give you an opportunity to ask for whatever you want. Don't mess up that opportunity. I'm convinced that there's really only one Goliath experience for most of us. I believe that so many times your purpose in life is staring you in the face and you miss it because you slam the door on your calling. Thank God for plan B. And C. D. <laughs> Q R S T U. It is the Buford Church of God. <laughs> what would you have me do for you? These disciples had their moment with God and they demanded promotion. And Jesus rebuked them and said, You don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink from the cup from which I drink? Blind Bartimaeus comes to him and says, I just want to see. Anything else? Yep. Desperation leads to simplicity. Got one thing I want. And I think God's impressed with simple prayers. I, uh, I don't need any money. I, I left my cup over there, my coat. I don't need more friends. I don't trust people. I don't need to find the right church with the right music, with the right people, with the right parking lot. I don't need another job. I don't need a CNI dog. I don't need a paint job on my blind man sticker card. I just want to see. You want to get God's attention? Get simple. Lord, fix it. I, I want this in my life. I want you to do this for me. I need this in my life. Simplicity. And I think the second thing that impressed God about blind Bartimaeus is he understood something instinctively. You see, he had, he had to rebuke the disciples. You don't know what you're asking for. You're going to go through persecution. You're going to suffer. You're going to have to walk through these things if you ask for something like that. The blind Bartimaeus had to endure the same suffering. He followed Christ. His name is mentioned. We know that he became part of the persecuted church. He had to take up his cross and follow Christ. He had to suffer. He had to endure. He knew that he was going to have to go through those things when he healed that man, and yet he didn't confront blind Bartimaeus. Why? It would have been a waste of time because I believe that for people like Bartimaeus, the cross is better than the hell they're going through. I believe there are some people who get to the place, they don't give a happy, holy rip what's on the other side of salvation. Anything is better than the hell they're going through. And my prayer is that you, if you're not going to serve God, you get to the place like the prodigal son who lifts up his eyes from the hog pen and he says, even the slaves in my father's house eat better than I eat. 
I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I know what the world has. I've tried everything the world's offered me. I've tried all of the things that the world throws at me in the form of temptation, and I'll tell you this, take this whole world. Just give me Jesus. How many of you can give me a witness today that even the cross is better than the hell you were living in before you met him? Even the worst day with Jesus is sweeter than the day that I was lost. I thank God that the cross may be, a, it may be something that everyone else is ashamed of. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those of us who believe, it's the power of God unto salvation. I embrace the cross no longer because I have to, to avoid hell. I embrace it because it's beautiful to me. And the suffering that you talk about is in the shadow of the promise that's in His Word. That the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be in heaven. For eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man what God plans to reward his children with on the other side. I'd rather have Jesus. Anything's better than this dirt road in Jericho. I just want to see. I just want to see. I want you to stand with me this morning. Pastor Todd, if you'll join me. Before I went into full-time ministry as a pastor, I went on a 40-day fast. I have never been on another one. I have met people who have been on more than one 40-day fast in their lifetime, and I admire those people. Doing it the first time sounds wonderful because of all the lies people tell about fasting. Now that I've done it, I don't want to ever do that again, but I will if God tells me to. But it's not like I'm super giddy about the whole idea. Forty days of fasting. And while we were going through 40 days, we had to write down our prayers. Our leader who was leading us through this 40 days of fasting actually gave us a lot of good teaching and instruction. And one of those was that we had to write down all of our prayers. Mia went on the fast with me. And so we had to write down these prayers that we were asking God for. And people would come with like notebooks. I want God to heal this one. I want... A new home, I need a promotion on the job, save my children. I mean, long list, just a bunch of stuff. And they would read over that long list. And I'm sure it was right. That was right for them. But I felt like it was my blind Bartimaeus moment. It was my moment to talk to God for the one thing that made me special, that made me, me. And so I went in there, and they were going around the room. What are you praying for? Five, six, seven, eight, 12, 15 things. Oh, I'm praying for these. I'm praying. They got to me. Pastor, what are you praying for? I want Joseph's coat. Whole room gets quiet. What do you mean by that? 
when I leave this tent fasting for the rest of my life, I want everybody to know, whether they like me or not, that God's hand is on me. And that my father did this for me. So that my ministry will not be something that I've earned or deserved. Because when blind Bartimaeus got God's attention, he didn't say, I deserve this. He said, have mercy on me. You know when he used that phrase, have mercy, Dad? You know what happened to him when he said that, when God said, go call him? When he said, have mercy, God saved him. God heard the prayer of mercy, saved his soul, called him. We know he's called because his name is included as Bartimaeus and his father's name is included, elevating him above the slave status of a beggar. When he said, have mercy, God healed him. So from that day till this one, I have lived on the welfare of God's favor. It works, too. Right after I went on that fast, they elected me to the state council. Right after that fast, I was assigned my first pastorate in Waynesboro. God started opening doors for me. When I leave this church, I go to Ukraine and other places, and, I, and they ask me to preach. I try, listen, I truly do try and resist preaching while I'm there. I don't speak the language. I feel like it's hard to translate me. <laughs> I never feel like it's going to go well because, you know, I don't know how I'm going to be perceived and I don't know how to adjust myself. I don't, whatever you get, they get. It's no different. I don't know how to, I can talk to the most influential people that I've ever met in my life and the same stuff that I get in trouble with right at my own house when my wife gets on to me is what I do in front of the president of the university or the leader of the state governments. It's, an, it's a terrible thing that I have. I, I'm the one needs counseling. We have one counselor, Pastor Tid. Pastor Tid, we'll, we'll get him on the phone. Pastor Tid, we have several cases that we want you to pray for. Yes, Pastor, talk to me about it. Yeah, we got this case and this case and, and these people, and they'll call you and that kind of thing. All right, I'll be praying about that. I'll get some scriptures ready. Thank you. And uh, by the way, <clears throat> I've been going through a little bit of stuff here. <laughs> Over there in Ukraine, I'll, I'll try and get out of preaching. And Pastor Slavic Radchuk said to me, he says, no, you must preach. He said, I've never seen it like this. He said, you get in front of a room full of bishops, leaders of the whole country. And within five minutes, they're all weeping. This does not happen in Ukrainian culture. It is God's hand on you. You cannot withhold from Ukraine the calling that is on your life. If you insist, I've tried it out over there. I don't mean to try it out, but you kind of watch it. I, I was in this one church. It was snowing, six inches of snow outside. The church service was just boring. It was awful. Long. Music was bad. Cold in the building. Everybody's folding their arms, just staring. I get up there. They hand me the microphone. Everybody's just got that cold stare. I just grabbed the microphone. Your mercy goes much deeper. Your grace rescues me. Your mercy goes much deeper. Father, than I can see. 
Now, they don't speak English. But as soon as I'm finished, the whole place just starts weeping, crying. I get in front of another church, a little church. I was super grouchy because I wasn't supposed to be there, and everything messed up, and they kicked me out of Romania, and so I had to go here. <laughs> Long story. And so I get in front of this church. They had two preachers before me, two preachers, bazillions of songs. It's Wednesday night. They start at 8. So I get up there, and, and I... I get up and I just, 30 seconds of talking and the whole place just weeps. It's not because of what I said. It's not like I have the look. It's not me. It's because when I was in the dirt road of my own experience, blind with the opportunity, blind with what was in front of me, not able to see what God wanted for my life, Jesus! I don't know who I am, but I know who you are. Have mercy on me. And the favor of God was on my life, and I asked for the right thing. When you get the attention of God, know why you're special. You're on the reason, you're on this planet for a reason. Find it. When God interrupts and says, what would you have me do for you, Solomon? Um, I don't need any money. I don't need power. I don't need victory. Just give me wisdom. Moses, what would, be, what would you have me do for you? Please, please, uh, just show me your glory. King David, what would you have me do for you? This one thing I ask. And I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Apostle Paul, what would you have? This one thing I do. I want to forget those things which are behind because they haunt me at night. I can get over a lot of things, but I can't get over my shame. But I choose to forget those things which are behind, and I reach for those things which are before, and I press toward the mark, the high calling of Christ, my King. Blind man, who gives you the right to be in the Sanhedrin? This man's a sinner. You're not going to have religious standing. We're going to take away your position in society. Of these things I know not. All I know is I once was blind. Now I see. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and give you peace. May you be blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed when you rise and when you lay down at night. I pray that he give you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. 
May the sun shine warm on your face and the rains fall softly on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed Pastor Joey's word today. To find out more about our ministry, visit bcog.me. Our services are live streamed weekly on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have any questions, you can talk to one of our pastors anytime via bcog.me messenger. See you again in the next podcast episode.